Well, good morning. It's uh, great to be here with you uh, today. Uh, if, if you're wondering or, or if you haven't heard yet, uh, next week we're going to start a brand new series out of the book of 1 Peter uh, called Hope, Hope in Exile. And uh, if you haven't seen, seen already, we're, we're going we're gonna to start next week uh, by having communion, uh, kind of virtually speaking. We're going to do that in our homes, or at least we're going to offer that for people to, to join us. And so uh, you can check your loop. You can check uh, where, where Chris has talked about that um, with some videos on social media. So check that out. We look forward to starting that next week. But today we're actually here to wrap up a series that we have titled Transformed. And so this is kind of the last message of that series uh, that, that we've been talking about, and really that this whole series has been talking about what it, what it is to be a disciple, what that actually means, because regardless of what's going on in and around us, regardless of our situation and circumstances that we have no control over, uh, we need to be assured and we need to be reminded that God actually hasn't changed. His goodness hasn't changed, and believe it or not, his mission hasn't changed even during this time. So it's important to actually understand and be reminded of, okay, well, what, what does that actually mean? So we've been looking at what it means to be a disciple. How does that mean for us practically speaking? And it's important to actually get on the same page when it comes to some of these fundamental foundational truths of our faith. Because when we're a community of faith, when we're a church family, it's actually important to understand uh, some of those things so that you know, when somebody actually asks you, hey, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Uh, we actually know how to respond so that we're not getting 83 different responses. Everybody's on the same page. And as a community of faith, we have this shared language. And so over and over, you've heard for the past several weeks, Chris, repeat this definition that we actually get from Matthew 4:19, where Jesus says, come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So from that simple statement, we actually here at New Life define what it means to be a disciple, and, and we think there's just three main components with that, and, and that just is simply this, that a disciple is somebody that follows Jesus, that gets changed by Jesus, and that lives on mission with him. And so that's important for us to know. It's important for us to be on the same page with that. And so two weeks ago, uh, Chris actually talked about that own mission portion of what it means to be a disciple, and he shared kind of part one of that. He, he talked about what it means to actually share the gospel, to, to share that as a disciple, to live on mission with him, to go, back, go about sharing that with others. And so today, I'll actually be looking at part two of that uh, component of living on mission with him. And I'll, I'll be looking at that serving component, or that serving equation when it comes to living on mission uh, with him, and, and it's been so cool, it's been so great to see so many different uh, stories out there right now in a, in a time of crisis. Uh, there have been so many people helping other people, serving uh, other people. In fact, you, you've probably seen John Krasinski's uh, little show on, on Facebook that he put out called Some Good News. It's about 15 minutes of just good news. We, we hear so much bad news that it's kind of refreshing to hear what other people are doing out there just to help serve uh, one another, and so that is good news, but today I actually want to start kind of on, on the flip side of serving. I, I want to start with, with maybe some bad news that, that, that creeps in and that can show up, especially during a time of crisis, and, and, and what do I mean by that? Well, there, there's kind of two sides to serving. There's serving by helping others, but there's also another thing that, that happens when it comes to serving, and, and, and we know this. Listen, guys, you know this. 
if, if you're honest with yourself, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that there is, is one person that we care about more than anybody else. One, one person, if we're honest, that we care about serving more than anybody else. And that person is ourself. Right? It's ourself, and this shows up, unfortunately, this also shows up during this time as well. Somebody posted uh, online that during times like, like these, the best of people shows up and the worst of people shows up as well. And that's kind of what leads to the worst of people showing up is this self-serving mentality. Now, you would think that, hey, you know, when we're quarantined with our family, uh, with those that we love the most, that that wouldn't necessarily show up, but... Man, it does not take long, if you're like my family, for that self-serving side of the equation, the worst of, to come out in us, even when we're with and spending all this time with those that we love the most. In fact, if you're like the Jones household, if you're like uh, us, there is a, a commodity that has really risen in value in our house during this quarantine time. And, and I'm not talking about toilet paper. We've got plenty of that. Hopefully you guys have plenty of that. If you're like Rodney, you don't need that. But here's the deal. There is one commodity in our house that has skyrocketed in value. And I bet it's skyrocketed in value in your house as well. And it's just simply this. It's food. In particular, it is uh, that comfort food, that, that sweet treat that, that we kind of all crave and get used to, our, our go-to snack. Man, that, that has uh, risen in value. It is crazy. We go out and we shop for what we think are like two weeks worth of food and we bring that back and it lasts for about 20 minutes. Now, with all this, during all this, I, I feel sorry for my poor wife because she is quarantined with a full-grown man and two teenagers. And, and that, is, that is insane because for her, it is like she has been parachuted into Jurassic Park and she has landed in the middle of like three velociraptors. And so food comes into the house, man, and it is a fight to the death. It, it, is, it is crazy. And so she is having to make bold declarations that she's not used to having to make because she's got a go-to snack too. And, and we all know what that, that is. For her, it's cookies. And so she had to grab her cookie dough and, and make the statement in the middle of all these velociraptors to say, hey, this cookie dough is off limits. It's my cookie dough. And so I said, that's right, girls, you heard that. That's mom's cookie dough, that's her cookies. Nobody is to touch the cookie dough. And so everything went great. Everything was going fine until I ran out of my snack. So it was all good, I ran out of my go-to treat. It's about three days in, I didn't have a snack, and so it was a nice evening. My wife was out by the fire pit. I was like, oh, I'm gonna join her, and I think I'm gonna just grab the last of the cookie dough. So I did, I was like, oh man, that, We've done so well. I've held off the raptors, and so there's only a little bit of cookie dough left, not even enough to make any cookies. So I grabbed that, I plopped myself down next to her by the fire pit, and I said, hey, honey, I just grabbed the last little bit of the cookie dough because there's not even enough to make any more cookies. Now, what I didn't know is that I had just sat down next to a T-Rex because she looked at me, and she roared, I can make four cookies out of what's left of that cookie dough. And so I, I froze and just kept eye contact and I slowly moved away and I put the cookie dough back where it came from. Now, why, why does this tend to happen so frequently when we get in situations like this? Why do we tend to care about ourselves 
so much when it comes, especially to times like these, and, and not even just times like these. Now, we know as believers, you guys know, Christians know what the problem is, don't we? We know what's out there. There is a disease that is prevalent, that is among us, that causes us to behave this way, and it, it is far worse than the coronavirus. It, it is far more devastating. It is far more destructive than what's going on right now. This disease actually infects 100% of the population. It, it affects every human at birth. We are born infected by this deadly disease, and, and as believers, we know it. We know what that is. It is called sin, and even if you have never been to, to involved in church before, even if you are an unbeliever, you've heard of this word before of sin. You understand, you have some kind of basic understanding of this idea of sin. Now, in your mind or, or, or in, in other people's minds, you may think when you hear this idea about sin, oh, it, it's just, sin is just some, some bad things that people do, some immoral things that people do. And there is some truth to that fact, but it is far worse than that. Because sin at its core, at, it, at its root level, what sin is, is selfishness. It is selfishness. Sin is, is, is the, 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 it's the disease is simply this. It, it is deciding to live for our own glory and refusing to live for somebody else's glory. And sin kills us. It devastates us. And, and we understand what sin does on that level, that that is really the root problem that, that is the, 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 the thing that's going on that's affecting everybody on this planet. And that's where we find ourselves today. Now, the other thing is we know, we know as believers there is good news. We know there is a cure for sin as well, don't we? We know this. We know that, that we, we celebrated Easter last week. Why do we get so excited when Easter rolls around? Because we get to celebrate the cure for that disease, for the disease of sin and selfishness and what it brings with it. We know that, that uh, last week that, that God himself, even though personally he is, was not affected by sin, he was not affected by that deadly disease, he looked at the people he loved, he looked at his creation, and he realized just how destructive, just how devastating sin was in the people that he loved. So what did he do? He decided to fix it. He became one of us to live among us so that he could actually die for us in our place and conquer sin and conquer death and raise to walk. And, and that gives us now hope. And when we put our faith and trust in him, now we have this living hope that lives inside of us that is the antidote, that is the cure for that disease. And man, that is such, that is such good news. So what if, what if God's people that have actually experienced this cure, what if God's people who have actually been transformed by this amazing hope, not just a hope of one day for our future when we're long dead and gone from this planet, but a hope that we can actually have for the here and the now. What if God's people who have actually been set free from the chains of sin, what if God's people who have been given grace upon grace upon grace started actually living like they weren't just saved from something, but they were also saved to something? 
what if, what if we realized that we weren't just saved from something that was going to kill us, but we were actually saved to something, to do something, to actually serve others by the grace that he has given us. And so the, the big idea today, the big takeaway that I want you to hear today, to walk away with today, is that simply this, saved people serve people. Saved people serve people. Now that is not an original statement that I came up with, but I think it is appropriate for our time today, and it goes along with what it means to live on mission, to serve people, to serve others. Guys, we haven't just been saved from something that was gonna kill us. We've actually been saved to something. We have been saved to serve others. That is one of the reasons we have been saved. So what does that look like for us? What does that look like for his church, for his people? And that's what I, I really want us to talk about and look at today. And so I want us to look at, at the book of Ephesians in chapter four, uh, where the apostle Paul actually teaches us about that, about what it means to actually be saved, to serve people, to serve uh, one another. And so before we flip there and before we get into the text, let me just give you a, a b- brief background of what's going on in the book uh, of Ephesians. It, it's this little little gem of a book uh, that's found in, in, in the New Testament. And uh, the Apostle Paul, most believe that the Apostle Paul actually wrote the book of Ephesians. And, and, and like in most cases, he was actually in prison uh, when he, he wrote it. Now the Apostle Paul uh, was a Jewish leader at, at the time that Jesus actually walked Uh, on this earth, and uh, he was a Jewish leader that actually persecuted originally and executed uh, Christians, believers, people that that believed in in what I just talked about. However, he had an encounter with God that transformed his heart, that transformed his life. He was saved from that selfish sin, and he actually was given a brand new life with a brand new mission, and that was to actually go and take this good news and share it to Gentiles. And Gentiles just meant it was, it was people that were non-Jewish. It was everybody else. It was you and, and it was me. And so that's what Paul did. And because of that, people reacted in a very uh, dramatic way. And so he, he found his, himself in prison a lot. And so while he was in prison, he wrote this letter to, to the church of Ephesus and, and the surrounding churches. And so Ephesus today would, is for our modern uh, maps it's kind of like Western Turkey, and so he, he wrote this letter to the church to remind them, to remind the church of what it means to be saved, to serve, and that's kind of where we are uh, to, today. Ephesians is this great little relational letter that, that that Paul wrote, and it reminds us, it teaches us how to be his church. And so, uh, look with me in Ephesians chapter four, starting with verse one. And uh, these verses should be up on the screen for you as well. But in verse 1, Paul says this. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I want to I want to kind of focus in for for a minute on that that word. One of the first words that we see there that that word that, that, that he he writes, which is just walk. Uh, Paul is saying, hey, in, in light of all this fact, basically Ephesians it's broken down in six chapters for us today. It was it, it was just written as one long letter, but the first 
three chapters of Ephesians, it's really, it's really Paul talking about what we believe, and then the last three chapters, four through six, it's really talking about our response to what we believe in light of, of that fact, in light of the gospel, how are we now to respond to that uh, so that we can actually be transformed and learn how to live in right relationship with God and with others. And so that's, what's, that's what Paul is talking about here is that he's saying, listen, in light of this fact, in light of your calling, you should be walking in a manner worthy of that calling. And we're going to look at what that calling is here in just a minute. But I want you to, to consider that picture that Paul is painting here about walking. We should be walking. This is a theme that we see repeated over and over again in these last three chapters. We see it again in this same chapter in verse 17 where he says, listen, walk no longer as Gentiles. What Paul is saying is, listen, you shouldn't be, be walking as Gentiles. You shouldn't be walking like you're still sick and dying. You shouldn't be going through this life like you're still sick and dying. You should be walking like you have a living hope inside of you because you do. Later on in, in chapter five, Paul says, walk in love. What he's saying is, listen, when, when you go about your daily living, as you walk through this life, the transactions that should be happening in your relationship should be uh, conditioned in love. They should be happening in love. Your relationships, it, it, that, that should be the environment, that should be the transactions that you're making, it should be walking in love. In the same chapter, in verse eight, eight he says, walk in love as children of the light. Guys, light repels the darkness. Light draws people in as we walk through this life. People should see the light that lives inside of us and they should be drawn to it. To say, what is different about you? Why are you such a bright light in such a darkened world? In that same chapter in verse 15, chapter five, verse 15, Paul says, be careful how you walk not as unwise, but as wise. He is reminding the church. He is reminding God's people that, listen, when you walk through this life, it is not about finding the easy way out. It is not, it is not about seeking out things that, that are gonna make you the most comfortable that you could be. What he's saying is walk as wise, not as unwise, that, that you need to, to make sure that you're making the wise choice, and sometimes the wise choice means the hardest choice. It, it means the choice that's gonna make you the most uncomfortable. But he's saying seek out God's wisdom and walk as wise and not as unwise. See that, he's painting this picture of us walking through life and he's, he's saying, listen church, I urge you now in light of this fact, in light of your calling, walk now in a manner worthy of your calling. You should be walking with humility, he says, and patience. When we walk with humility, that, that, that just means we are constantly aware as we live our day-to-day -day life, regardless of what's going on, we are constantly aware of who God is and what he has done for us. And we are constantly aware of who we really are and how unworthy we are. That's walking in humility each day. That's walking in a manner worthy of our calling. We're to walk patiently as we walk through this life. That means that, that man, things aren't always gonna happen uh, the, the way we want, when we want it. That's what self-serving does. But as we walk patient, as we learn to walk patiently and re respond, walk worthy in a manner of our calling, we, we realize that, wow, we're gonna have to wait sometimes. We're gonna have to wait on God's timing. We're, we're gonna have to move at the pace of others. We're gonna have to slow down. And listen, guys, he is telling us that as we form this union with Christ, as we develop this intimate walk with Christ, 
He is going to slow us down. He is going to slow our pace and remind us that, hey, I am right here with you. I am walking with you. And so when, when we walk, it, it means that we're not standing still, we're not standing stagnant, and we are not running like we're in a panic and we have no hope. We are simply walking in comfort and the security and the confidence knowing that we have a living hope inside of us and God is walking right there with us. And that is what Paul is talking about. That's what he's reminding his church, his people, about. And so keep reading with me in verse 4 now where, where, where Paul is going to remind us now of what this great calling is and, and, and what that means uh, for us. And this is what he says. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. People, that is a lot of ones and a lot of all, y'alls. Why, why is he repeating that? There is only one, there is only one, there is only one, there is only one who is in all and through all and over all. Why does, why does Paul constantly keep repeating that? So, so hear me now, listen, listen guys. As we learn that, that save people, serve people, Paul is saying you, you need to understand that, that God's people, us people, we are not called to become great. We are called to serve greatness. And there is only one who is great. There is only one among us who is great, and he is reminding us, listen, guys, we are not called, the church is not called, the individuals in this church are not called to become great. We are called, rather, to serve greatness. That is the calling that Paul is talking about. Paul knew this, and God knows this. Anytime a group of people come together and they start organizing, listen, we, we start, our, our, our American selves start freaking out when people gather together over anything, and they start organizing. People uh, reject organized religion and organized politics and all this stuff. Listen, in and of itself, people organizing and gathering together is not the problem. That's not the bad thing. It's when they follow the wrong leader. Because we know, Paul knows this, God knows this, is typically when people start gathering together, they start organizing together, they are, they are typically doing so based around a great leader that has given them a great cause because we were designed, humans, people are designed to follow greatness. And we get deceived, we start following other people that claim to be great and, and, and that, that, that put this deceitfulness in us to say, hey, and you can be great too. No, what Paul is reminding us is there's only one who's great. And we have been designed to follow greatness. And when, and this is critical, when we get the right leader, that one great leader, then great things tend to happen when people gather together and start following that great leader. We know that everything gets birthed, everything flows out of that leadership. Everything flows from that great leader. A, a great leader will actually set the stage. They will set the environment for everybody else, for all those who have gathered together. They are gonna make sure that the environment is right. They are gonna make sure, a great leader will, will make sure that, that, that the people do not lose sight of what the mission really is, that they do not lose sight of what that great cause really is. The mission will be determined by that great leader. A great leader, as we gather together, will actually give his people, those people, hope. We'll give them peace. 
And guess what? A great leader will unify all of those people. People that when they come together are prone to self-serving and to look and to become great themselves. A great leader will actually gather those people and he will unify those people where now the self-serving will be diminished and that great leader will unify them toward that great cause. And you, you guys know this. There is nothing better. We respond when a great leader takes the first step when they're the one that, that leads the way, when, when the great leader actually is the first one to sacrifice, when that great leader is the first one to, to, to show up and to serve others, man, it, it will unify us like nobody's business, won't it? We will begin to follow that great leader. That We will say, wow, what an example he is setting. He was the first one to sacrifice. He's the first one to actually show us what it means to serve others. And that, exact, that is exactly what God did when he came to save us. He made the ultimate sacrifice. He stepped out and said, I'm gonna serve you. I'm gonna show you just how much I love you. I'm gonna be the one that sets the stage. I'm gonna be the one who sets the example to show you how you're supposed to serve others. And man, that unifies the people of God. It unifies a group of people that have come together, united behind that great leader, united, united behind that great mission. And so Paul is reminding us, our calling isn't to become great, it is to serve greatness together as his people to be unified around that one great leader and guess who that great leader is it's never me it is never you it is always Jesus there's only one who's in all and through all and over all and a great leader will remind us that there's still sick people very much in danger a great, a great leader will remind us that our job is to serve one another in the body of Christ so that we can remain healthy, so that we can actually carry out that mission in the right way because there are still sick people that need help. There are still people living without hope. And one of the dangers that happens with any viral disease, one of the dangers that, ha that, that can ha tend to happen over time is that healthy people will stop helping the sick people. And they'll start looking inward and, and only thinking about themselves, only looking to serve themselves. Guys, we have not been saved just from something. We have been saved and given hope, not so that we can quarantine ourselves away from all the people that are still sick. And over time, if we're not careful, his people, God's people, that have been given such great hope, that have been given the cure to sin's disease. If we're not care careful, we'll, we'll start looking at those people that are still sick as less than, as people that are less than us, as people that somehow are less deserving than us, like we did something ourselves to gain that hope. If we're not careful, that's the attitude and mentality that, that we'll start to take and, and we'll stop wanting to help people and we'll start trying to, to build walls to keep us away from those infected people. Guys, please never forget, Paul has reminded us, never forget, we have been saved not to become great, we have been saved to serve greatness. And our leader showed, showed us the example, he set the example for us. I have done nothing be saved from sin. You have done nothing to be saved from sin. 
Those people that are still sick are just like us. They need the living hope that can save them. And so not only, not only did God come to, to save us so that, so that we could serve one another, but he actually came to say, hey, I'm also going to equip you. I'm going to give you individual tools. I'm going to give you graciously give you these gifts that will help you serve one another as you come together, as you come together as one people united by this one great leader. I'm going to give you tools now that can equip you to serve one another. And so look down now to verse 11. See what Paul talks about, what Paul talks about when it comes to, to, to helping equip us, to giving us some of those tools. In verses 7 through 10, Paul is is simply talking about that there's a lot of language there talking about how Christ uh, descended into the depths and ascended into the heights. And, and really, just to give you a quick summary of that, what, he, what he's talking about there is that, hey, there is no place, there is no visible realm, there is no invisible realm, neither height nor depth. There is no place that anything or any person can go where Jesus does not have ultimate authority over them. So, so he's, he's setting that up, and, and then we start in verse 11 where Paul says, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, and listen to this, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, and listen to this, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Guys, Paul is teaching us here that God has graciously given us gifts. And listen, listen to this. We, we are saved people. We are saved to serve. And so Paul is reminding us of this fact. That, listen, how you use your gifts is far more important than what gifts you've been given. When it, when it comes to carrying out this mission, when it comes to understanding that we've been saved to serve one another, how you use these gifts that God has given each one of us is way more important than what gift you've been given. Now, I say this because this is counterintuitive to, to what, how we typically respond when somebody gives us a gift, isn't it? Uh, and, and it's a normal re response when, when, typically when somebody gives us a gift, how do we, we respond? They, they give us a gift and we're typically thankful or grateful, we thank them, and then we take that gift and we use it for our own pleasure and for our own purposes, right? And there's not anything necessarily wrong with that. In fact, I'll, I'll kind of bring it back full circle. I'll, I'll bring my wife back into the mix. And, and by the way, I got her permission to, to, to use all of this stuff. Um, so uh, I, basically, what, what I, we, we've been married for, for at the end of this year, it'll be 23 years. And so full, full disclosure, uh, my love language is not stuff. It's not gifts. And so uh, I, I appreciate it. if you give me a, a gift, great, awesome, uh, that, that, that's it's a wonderful sentiment, but it does not trip my love trigger, so to speak. 
So for, for, for a long time, for decades now, my wife has been trying to get me like a birthday gift that would just light me up. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about. She wants her moment. She, she wants to be able to give me the gift, and man, I just like, I, I light up or I tear up, and there it is. There's the moment that, that we were hoping for, right? Nothing wrong with that. Well, it finally happened this past year. It had been a long time. She gave me a gift. She, she gave me concert tickets to, to somebody that, that was pretty special to me. And man, I teared up. And she was like, yes, finally, I got you. Well, that is a normal response. And now it turns out that concert got canceled. But the point is, <laughs> the point is this. The sentiment was there, right? That, that's a, a normal response. Man, it was so precious. I, I, I was so overwhelmed by her, her thoughtfulness. And that is how we typically think about, and that is typically how we respond when somebody gives us a gift, right? Nothing wrong with that. It's like we take it, we, we, we use it for our own pleasure and for our own goodness, right? And, and, and there, there's really nothing that's wrong with that. But the difference when, when God gives us gifts when he graciously gives us these individual gifts in the church body, in, in the body of Christ, he actually is giving them to us, not to use for us, not for our own purposes, not for our own pleasure. He is giving them to us for the sole purpose of using them for others, of using them to serve one another. In fact, in Romans 12, 6, he says, having gifts that differ according to the grace that's given to us, Use them to build one another up in love. As Paul is reminded, reminding the Ephesians here of their response, what their response to their calling should be. And, and this, is, this is too important. This is too important to miss here. We understand the gift of salvation, and, and that has is, that is all, all been given by his grace. But these gifts, it's the same grace. We did, we did nothing to earn these gifts. God just graciously gave us these gifts, but not for the purpose of our own enjoyment. He, he gave us to use to serve other people. And, and what can tend to happen is what he talked about later on is that, is that we can start to experience this prolonged infancy, this arrested development where, where we remain infants and childs, where we get tossed back and forth by all these waves of, of deceitful cunning and deceitful schemes. And church, this is too important for us to remain there, to, to not understand that there is another side of God's grace. There's another side of that salvation equation. And it is too important for us to remain as a church body in this prolonged infancy. Do, do, you, know, do you know what starts to exhaust a group of people do you know what, what starts to exhaust the body of Christ? That we don't get exhausted. The, the church body doesn't get exhausted because the mission that we've been given is too great. We start to get exhausted when we feel like we're the only ones carrying it out. 
Because do, do you want to know what your gift is? Most, most people do, and that's a normal thing, and that, that's okay. You want to say, okay, great. Wow, now I've been saved, and now, wow, I'm going to get some of these cool, unique individual gifts, and that's great. Find out your gifts. There, there are plenty of spiritual gift tests that you can take that will help you discover what your gifts are. That, that's okay. Find out what those are. Be affirmed by others in what those are, but, but don't, don't mistake don't, don't get mistaken here. Don't, don't remain in this prolonged embassy. When you start using those gifts, when people start affirming you and come up, coming up to you and saying, wow, you, you ha- you're just so hospitable. You have this, it's like you're just a natural at hospitality. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Listen, you're not a natural at it. You got a gift for it, given graciously by God. And you're to use it for him and his glory and for his church to serve one Another, it is more important how we use these gifts than what they are. So are you using them to build one another up in love? And and a simple test, a simple way to to know that and to understand that is, is as you're using your gifts, does God's glory get revealed or does yours And And you guys know what, what I'm talking about here. If you've been given the gift of generosity, and over time, you start saying, oh, you thank God that it's all by his grace, nothing that you've done. But you start using that gift. You've been given the means and the abilities and the gift of that. And you see somebody in need. And so you start being generous and helping them. But then you start wanting people to know just how generous you are. You want, you want people to start seeing just how generous of a person you are careful. Because, because now you start, that, that's the danger of, self-serving and now you start serving yourself and seeking your own glory rather than God's do you have the gift of teaching great are you using that gift to give encouragement to others and to build one another up or are you using that so people will know how smart you are how much knowledge you have how much more mature you are than most of the people are. Be careful, because now you're starting to use that gift for your own glory, not his. As a body of believers, as a group of people who have been saved, not just from something, but saved to something, saved to serve, how does that start to take place, practically speaking, in and among this faith family, this church family? Well, let me leave you with just two applications today. That, that, that you can hopefully apply and use as we go about learning how to serve one another, how to respond in a manner worthy of this calling. The first thing I would just remind you and encourage you is to say, hey, remember, always remember why you serve. Uh, whether you're a new believer or you're a mature believer, listen, thank, thank God we have so many people, as Rodney mentioned before, we have so many people at New Life that actually they, they serve one another with sincere hearts and they are doing it for the glory of God. Praise God for that. We have so many people in New Life that do that. But listen, even if you do, even if you have matured out of that infancy and you, you actually understand that this reality that, that we're supposed to walk in this manner and serve one another, listen, don't ever forget, as soon as you start thinking, well, you're, be, you're above the fray, that, that you have moved on, you, you are so mature that, that that self-serving mentality will never creep up in your life, that's probably when you're at the most dangerous point. So always remind yourself, constantly remind yourself, oh yeah, this is by the grace of God, this is nothing that I have done. 
and I'm to use it to serve others. So be wise in how you walk. Be wise in how you serve. And so finally, number two, I, I would just encourage you, may, maybe you're new to the faith and that's okay, and, and, or maybe you, you have just realized that, wow, maybe, maybe I haven't matured out of my, a childlike faith. I'm still there. Maybe, maybe you've just been thinking, well, okay, well, I'm safe. I'm saved. And, and most everything is still all about you. If you're still there, that, that's okay. Here, here's what I would encourage you, you to do is place yourself in a context. Put yourself in an environment and allow your heart to catch up. Don't, don't panic. Just, just take, take a step and, and allow yourself to be placed in a context that's going to that's gonna let your heart catch up. You don't have to worry about getting it right. You don't have to worry about understanding, oh, okay, oh, man, I, I don't really know what my gifts are yet, or, or I'm not really sure how you, that's okay. Just take a step, put yourself in that right context. When that happens, sometimes it'll allow our heart to catch up. It'll help our heart mature. And so that can be done inside the body of Christ or outside the body of Christ. Inside, there are formal ways to put yourself in that context and informal ways. You can go to our website and you can click on the tab serve and it'll bring up all kind of, of formal ministries. Uh, Mike Watkins is just awaiting your, your, the, the time where you, you can show him how, how good of a singer you are, right? The gift that you've been given. A, a kid, a kid. Maybe it is. That, that's okay. But there's all kind of formal ways that you can actually get involved and place yourself in a context. When you start serving kids and first graders, you're going to find out, wow, i got to start serving. And these kids, while they may be challenging, man, they need you. And they need an adult in their life that can show them the love of God and that life's not just about them. But you don't have to put yourself in a formal context. You can actually put yourself in an informal context. As you realize that the gifts that you've been given and you see a need in the, in the body of Christ, you don't have to wait for Chris or for me or for anybody else to tell you to go ahead and respond. Are you doing it with the, the right motive? Then serve away. Be generous, be hospitable, be what, teach whatever it is you can do that informally as well. And outside the body of Christ, you can do that as well. You, same thing, you can go to our website and click on the missions tab. And there are so many formal uh, partnerships that we have, organizations here in Asheville and globally that you can become a part of. And what that will do when you place yourself in those contexts. Sometimes what will happen, rather than your heart becoming hard, toward those people that are still infected and that don't believe the same way that you do, that still aren't acting like they don't have hope because they don't, rather than you wanting to pull back from them and just thanking God that you're not infected like them anymore, instead of your heart becoming hard as you put yourself in that context and you're forced to serve them, God will start to soften your heart toward them. He'll start to remind you that you're just as unworthy. It's your job to serve them to bring them hope. And you don't, have to, you don't have to wait to be a part of any kind of formal organization. You can do that informally as well. Listen, we have another person at New Life that just posted recently that, that they, uh, they wrote a note of gratitude to their postal worker. And they stuck it in the mailbox and that postal worker read it and they wrote them a note back. Nobody told them to do that. They were just responding graciously with the gift that they had been given. So they wrote them that note, and they, they, now they've started this relationship with their postal worker. Guys, can you imagine if saved people, if we actually understood we weren't just saved from something, but we were saved to something, if saved people would begin to serve people? Can you imagine if God's people would actually start to understand that 
Our calling is not to become great, but it is to serve greatness. Can you imagine if God's people here at New Life started to care more about how they use their gifts and what gifts they had been given? Could you imagine the pettiness that would begin to die away? Could you imagine the self-serving that would begin to get pushed away? Because we have been given an amazing gift. And Paul is reminding us today, God's word is reminding us today that we have been saved to serve. And so in light of this fact, walk in a manner worthy of this calling. Let's go out and serve the only one who is actually great so that we can learn to serve others in his love and by his grace. Would you pray with me? God, I'm just so overwhelmed by your generosity and your grace and your goodness, not just for me, but for all of us. God, I know I'm unworthy, and I know at times in my life I act like I'm not. So God, my prayer for me, my prayer for our church family today is that we would just constantly be reminded how desperate we are for your grace. God, that, that you would remind us just how, how unworthy, how we, we had no hope without you. God, remind us that we are in desperate need of your grace so that we can actually distribute that grace to our own church family, God, so that we can live following a great leader that calls us to a great mission as we go out and we serve one another in your love and through your love and by your precious grace. God, we pray all this in the name of Jesus today.